In today's episode, Adam and I and Richard Kelly focus on how the pandemic affected the point-of-sale industry, a crucial part of in-store customer experience, and we'll also talk about the latest technology trends. This is the last episode of our retail mini-series. In the next couple of weeks, we will shift from retail shopper habits to technology and the use of AI to analyze customer feedback data. So stay tuned, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn. everyone welcome to another cx insider podcast episode today i am joined by adam hello adam how are you good morning i'm very good thank you you all right yeah i'm good thank you today's guest is richard kelly richard is account manager at arna group this company is specializing in creating bespoke point of sale solution solutions for brands such as timberland gucci or l'oreal Today, Richard joined our virtual studio to talk about the current challenges in the retail industry. How are you today, Richard? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Let's start with the big picture question, as always. <laughs> in, our, in our last conversation, both of you agreed that a negative customer experience is still better than no experience. Richard, I'm going to ask you first, what made you come to this conclusion? Sure. Well, uh, as people, we all have memories and those memories are basically put into our brains through our experience and the emotion that we had during that experience. So when we have a positive experience with good emotions, we'll remember that and we'll remember it for the whole of our lives. We don't have to actively remember it. It will happen. The same with a negative experience. We have a negative experience with negative emotion. We are likely to remember it. And if we bring that memory up, it, we will think, oh, I don't, I don't, don't want to remember that. Now, if you have a, an in-between memory where you didn't have much of an experience and there wasn't much of an emotional connection, you won't remember it at all unless you really, really work hard at remembering it. So the reason I said that a negative experience is better than no experience at all is because you will still remember the experience. So if you have a bad experience with a retailer or a brand, you'll remember it and you'll remember that retailer, you'll remember that brand. Now, that in itself might not be good for the retailer or the brand. Where it can be good is if you let the brand or retailer know that you've had that negative experience because that then gives them the opportunity to put it right. And often you will find that your most loyal customers come from those people who've had a problem and you've exceeded their expectation levels in putting it right. And therefore, they will then tell everyone Oh, I had this problem, but it was put right. And that is a, you know, a win-win situation all around. So it's not necessarily about doing things right all the time. It's about when you know you've done something where a customer's not happy, you do something good to put it right. Couldn't agree with Richard anymore there, actually. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's amazing how um, just the basic, getting the basics right can really make a difference. And I think the way organizations, retailers, et cetera, manage that customer service, they can't get it right all the time. No one does. No one gets everything right all the time. It's, it'd be unreasonable to think that you do. But as Richard just said, I think what really goes, makes a big difference is when, when people actually then improve on that and they react accordingly and offer good service. Because Richard, you're the first person on this podcast to actually just talk about the memorability, the memory, I can't even say the word, of uh, the customer experience in terms of a good and bad. No one ever really likes to talk about the bad, but you're so spot on. So I couldn't agree more. Exactly. So I guess the key information really is that the retailer 
they have to know that somebody has the customer has a bad customer experience and what they can do in order to make to make it better i i read in a in a report that over a third of customers said that they would switch to a different brand after only one bad experience so there's not even a space for negotiation <laughs> they would just completely change the brand but i guess that it's still worth the risk yeah yeah, I think with um, with brands, it probably depends what you're buying. That stat will be interesting. I'll have a look at that after the episode. It depends on what you're buying, I suppose. If it's something that you're really quite loyal to, because brand loyalty is also a big thing, then I'd be very surprised if uh, a consumer would be willing to just drop that after one bad experience. But I suppose that stat does make perfect sense when it comes to looking at a brand new product. Um, be interesting to see what Richard thinks on this, because obviously with, with Arno, their, their whole business is all about engagement and drawing people in what do you think richard well i think in terms of when a customer tells you they've had a bad experience that that's an easy one for you to to go down the path of trying to resolve where we've got now that uh, consumers have very much more choice and they have access to that choice in many ways particularly with the technology that's in most of our hands uh, on a you know 24 7 basis if they don't tell you and they move somewhere else and that happens consistently across your brand or retailer because you've got your service wrong or your product wrong or your pricing wrong. You need to react to that quickly. And it could be then that if you see those things happening, and this is why metrics are important in retail and brand experience, it's you need to go out and ask your customers why they've left you, why they're not buying with you anymore. That could be directly or it could be with incentives or things like that. So you need to see those warning signs early. Uh, and we've got examples of retailers who've not responded to that happening, you know, all of the time around us where they've uh, not changed their offer. They've not understood that their customer base is changing, that decisions are happening differently uh, and that people will take one poor experience and potentially move to someone else doing a, a, the same product. And they might stay with those other people because those, those other people are doing the product better service or at a better price, and they wouldn't have gone to those other people if they didn't have the bad experience with you. So I think there's there's many ways you can utilize the understanding of whether your customers are happy with your business service offer, etc. Yeah, customer feedback is quite crucial in this way. But moving on to the topic I would like to discuss today. Everyone knows the high street retail has been facing decline for the last 10 years and the pandemic surely is quite a nightmare for retailers all around the world. I assume these disruptive times must have had consequences in the shop fitting industry as well. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your projects? To clarify to the audience a bit, you deliver solutions from small point of sale displays to creating an entire physical store, right? Yes, that's correct. So we have multiple different types of projects and uh, we can do a project from a blank sheet of paper. So if um, a channel marketer, for example, came to us and said they were looking to promote a new product, but they didn't know how to go about it, uh, we could create, design the whole concept, produce the uh, displays uh, or the store, install them, fit them, and then take care of those things afterwards that they've been installed. We even, we've got ways of also partnering with technology companies so that we can understand the impact that those displays have had upon the sales of that particular item. In terms of how COVID affected those sorts of things is what you saw 
with COVID and retail was that everyone seemed to circle the wagons because suddenly retailers were faced with a massive drop-off in their, their people purchasing because they couldn't go into shops or couldn't go into automobile dealerships. They couldn't go into uh, personal care areas. So everyone, you know, most of retail found their sales dropped off dramatically, except for a couple of areas uh, being, you know, supermarkets or uh, online dealers like um, Amazon. They saw their sales increase. So mm-hmm. you had a, this strange situation where retailers said, right, I'm now, I'm now not getting any money in. So therefore, what am I going to have to do? And there was, so if you've not got, um, particularly if you haven't got a very strong internet offer, a lot of retailers and brands circled the wagons and stopped spending money. So it didn't mean that the projects stopped. They went on hold. There was a lot of decisions made in terms of, I'll put this project on hold and come back to it when the shops open again. And of course, we, we didn't know how long that process was going to take. That, in a, that meant that we as a business had to shift into other areas of supporting our customers. So an example would be we started doing some research work for customers um, in terms of what things they might want to do when the stores did reopen. We started to do some aftercare projects whereby we did some servicing on items that you couldn't normally service in the run of mill of things. We got involved with sanitization. Um, so there were a number of retailers that wanted to understand how they could make the customers feel that they were able to sanitize their hands in, in and around the shops. shops. So, um, and because we're a global business, we, we, have business, we have projects that are outside of the, some of the countries that got closed down. So we were able to adjust. But you're dead right to say that if retailers close down and stop spending money, there's going to be a downward impact upon the services that provide retail services such as displays racking shop fitting transport into retailers with new product all of the uh, you know logistics the warehousing of these things all of these things stop and the, only the businesses that were nimble have seemed to have survived that process yeah i understand well hopefully fingers crossed your projects will not be put on hold for too long yeah i mean I richard's uh, again <laughs> very valid points i think you find it with with covid and with lockdowns and with stores those that were as as richard says nimble or reactive and and actually evolved their process some brands and some retailers have actually done exceptionally well obviously amazon uh, have done incredibly well but also some others you know and even actually hate food retailers some brands within this have done exceptionally well people like morrison's for example mm-hmm. and others have, have just completely fallen by the wayside and they haven't evolved their process they haven't really tried to connect digital experiences with physical experiences and they've just kind of <laughs> you know, held onto their money and hoped for the best which has proven not to be the right thing to do because you know we were talking about this on our podcast almost a year ago <laughs> so yeah like, like, what, 10 months ago and it certainly doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon so yeah you're absolutely spot on there richard <laughs> as a richard as a consequence of of the pandemic uh, how would you evaluate the behavior shift of shoppers' habits? Or maybe even because you work for a global company, did you see any behavioral differences in shoppers from different countries or cultures maybe? Well, no, not especially. I, th- I, th- I think we all, we all know because the, the evidence is there and we also know intuitively that uh, customer behavior has been changing for some time now. 
to um, customers utilizing the full range and full mix of ways they can purchase and consume products and services. So bricks and mortar retail, which used to be the traditional and very linear way that you would purchase products, had been for a very long time under some pressure from consumers finding different ways to purchase their products and generally, mainly through the internet. So what happened with COVID is that process accelerated and it accelerated for two reasons. One, because some businesses became very good at being able to offer their whole product range and service on an internet only basis. Um, and secondly, because they were forced to, because the shops weren't open, so they couldn't go into them. Um, so therefore, that if, if you had a, a retailer that didn't have a very good internet offer, but you still wanted to buy a product they offered, you would find another way of doing that. And uh, the internet providers are very good at doing that for you. So I think we've had an acceleration of uh, shopping behavior moving to a more online basis doesn't mean though that people still don't want to have the whole experience of going shopping having the day out we we still miss these things and you know the the, the shopping experience became one way you would go with friends you would use your technology while you were out shopping you might want to have food you might want to have coffee you might want to you know take your shopping with you or have it delivered back back to your home. All of these things we still want to do as consumers, we just can't at the moment. And so what we and then in in the countries that we're working where they're still open, the behavior shift the behavior shift wasn't as quick. So I think that one of the challenges facing retailers once the COVID vaccination process works is how they're going to win back consumers that have become very comfortable purchasing products online. And also how they're going to win back consumers that might be very nervous about going back and having that whole day experience, which I just, just described. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. And I absolutely agree with you that the customers still, they adapt very fast and the whole technological acceleration process of going from physical to digital has accelerated, but the customers still want the full package of experience, also the physical experience. Richard, in our first call prior to this episode, you said that mm-hmm. retailers are scared to use technology. So what technology do you use to engage with customers in this store? Sure. Uh, there, there's a whole range of technology you can uh, use to engage customers. So there are some very simple pieces of technology. So you can have a proximity sensor, whereby if someone comes close to a display or an area, uh, that something happens within that area that could be lighting, could be sound, could be video, and it happens when somebody goes into that area. You can have retailers don't necessarily also necessarily understand whether that technology is working. So you can utilize heat mapping to understand where the people in your shop are shopping. Uh, it shows you where you might have dead areas or whether you've got your displays in the right places. We've got facial recognition. Now, of course, the GDPR rules changed how that was utilized. Um, so that you can't capture that information. But what you can do with uh, face recognition, you can see whether someone um, is like me in their 50s, or you can see whether someone is uh, a young woman in their 20s. Now, if you're going to trigger advertising, if we both went to that same display, you wouldn't want to trigger the same advertising for me as you would want to do for a woman in their 20s. Now, intuitively, that's obvious. However, most people will just have a running video. Yeah. It does the same to both. 
Now, that could engage both of us, but it probably wouldn't. So you could then have, you've got some uh, mechanical technology. So um, I saw a very good speaker and headphone display where you could put, you could switch between them. It was physical, but then you could listen to how the different speakers um, sounded and the different headphones sounded by you controlling it. And that's a very good salesperson because, you know, you're not necessarily interacting with another person, but you're interacting with the display. Other things that are coming along is you've got lift and learn. Um, obviously, there's challenges with COVID at the moment, but this works in a very good way that you could lift a product, then a video might start or a price might come up, or you could have something that links to your phone right. that gives you an offer for that product. Then you could also have that product linked to its accessories so that those accessories then light up in the display and show you what items go with that item you've picked up. You know, so an example would be you might want to pick up a particular type of makeup and then that will then show you the other types of makeup in that range. So because of the uh, impact of COVID, people have started to think about how to utilize that technology with no touch. And there are systems available where you can wave your hand over something and that process will happen. And, and you can then also have a situation where you can link your phone to a screen and you can control the information on that screen from your phone. So therefore, if you want to know about a particular product or service within a retail space, you can control that from your phone. So you're not having to touch anything. Um, and we've obviously got things like QR codes where you scan them and then it brings mm. up information. But are you talking about using kind of like your camera with on your phone and like scanning across a, a point of sale and it then bringing up like an on-screen display telling you about it or things like that? Is that what you, yeah, you things mean? like that. Things like wow. that, exactly like that, yes. Um, okay. And then it can download that information to you and send it to you so you've got it to take away with you. So the thing is about technology, um, there's a whole massive range of things that you can do with technology. One of the reasons that I found that some retailers and brands are scared of using that technology is because they don't understand the return on investment. Because often the investment is quite high. You've got to build that technology into a space or into a display. And the, the, the brand or retailer is saying, oh, well, well, how can I then measure whether that's had an impact upon my sales? Because the only thing you can really measure is if you don't sell anything at all. But what I can say is that if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're not doing it, someone else will be. Absolutely. One thing I was just thinking about there, and this is a long time ago, but it kind of takes me back to when I first saw it. Remember when Apple stores first started like appearing in the UK? Um, and it wasn't even that unique. It was just nice and clear. But the one thing that Apple did really well is they had every single device that they sold available on a stand for you to touch and feel. Um, what Richard has been talking about seems next level from that. But I actually remember, and this might mean that I'm incredibly sad, but I remember going out with like mates and stuff and you'd be like, should we pop into the Apple store just to look at stuff? And I'm sure I wasn't the only person that would do that. And I'm not the only person that would do that. I'm not even a massive Apple fan. But just to look at the expensive kit and to have a look at it, obviously with COVID, that's changed a bit. But it is amazing how I remember that customer experience. And I might have been on that like eight years ago, but I remember actually making <laughs> a visit to a store just to look at something. I probably wasn't even going yeah, to well, buy. Yeah, well, that's something that we cannot do today. No, it's not because of today, but it's very interesting from what Richard's saying is taking it one step further than that and integrating technology. Because I just imagine picking up the latest iPhone on the thing, feeling it. And as you pick it up, it comes up with a you know, 4K resolution video telling you about it and what's different about it. That I think that'd be amazing. 
great going through those. I was going to ask, and I hate to put you on the spot here a little bit, but is there any particular project that you've done or you're doing that you're allowed to talk about at the moment with, with Arno that you're particularly proud of or where you think you're doing something a little bit unique that's really attention grabbing? Anything you can think of? Yeah, I can't think of one project that uh, is live currently and, and actually in the market and operating now. And that's a project that uh, we're working in partnership actually with Samsung SDS, who are providing the technology and the CMS system and Arno are building the displays. So what we've got here is we've got companies working as experts in their field. We have a, a third partner in that group, which is the, the, the installation team for the technology. They're, they'll deal with the aftercare. And what we've got going on is we've got a system that we build the displays for technology to go into that has a customer experience within the uh, Vauxhall or Opel dealership. So it's particularly at the moment related to the Corsa EV car. Okay. And the idea is as a consumer, when you go in to purchase that car, you're taken through a series of uh, screens, a series of interactions, whereby you can personalize that car. Because at, at the end of the day, the Corsa is a very nice car, but you know, once you've produced 10 of them all next to each other, they're just like, they're all the same thing. Yeah. And they're not particularly you know, funky or sexy, but the thing about personalizing a car then makes it specific to you. So if you're able to choose a specific color, a type of trim, the interior of the car, a particular leather finish, particular stitching, you then get an emotional attach- attachment to, to yeah, of that course. and the car becomes yours. And the process they've got going on this experience in utilizing technology is one but where the customer drives it. They drive that decision making. And of course, the, the benefit for the brand and the dealership is that there's greater margin in having a personalized car with lots of attachments than there is in just selling a standard car. Yeah. So ev- everyone benefits. Um, and the experience for the consumer is that they don't necessarily feel that they've been forced attachments or extras because they're in charge of the process of how to choose them. And Very I think good. that this is, this is an exciting project because it's going into the realms of where brands and retailers are going to have to go to to have a connection with how the how the internet, how the experience and how the product all work together for the customer. Yeah, I know something similar, completely different, completely different industry, but I think people like Adidas and Nike do the same with trainers and things now. You can buy, obviously, pretty cool trainers, but you can buy them completely bespoke and tailored to you. Yes. Um, and there is a premium for doing that. You know, if you want to have your initials put on the side or you want to change the color of the tick or whatever, you can completely customize it. But people pay that premium because they can become attached and they want to show off. So I can absolutely see that working with a car. I think Vauxhall did something similar with one called the Adam. I only remember it because it's called Adam, obviously. They did. But probably didn't do it as well. I'm not sure. But I think with electric cars, there's going to be a boom, isn't there? So, yeah. Okay. That sounds very interesting. I'll check it out. And we'll put a link, I think, Valentina. I think we really should um, to share some of the work that um, Arno do and have done because I've looked through it and some of it's really awesome. So Definitely will do. That's, that's a great example of like really personalized service a customer can get. Richard, well, I'm afraid we are getting to the end of this episode. Okay. And I've got my last question for you, as we always ask, what advice would you give to CX leaders who are looking to improve their customer experience in the new year? I, the advice I would give is probably twofold. Firstly, is to, to do it now. 
because if you don't, your competitor or somebody who will become your competitor will. And I would encourage brands and retailers to think about their space and how to best utilize their space to encourage experiential shopping uh, rather than just commodity shopping. So I think there's going to be continued reduction in the number of retailers that we see on the high streets and in the malls. We'll be left with eventually uh, the retailers that are very good and that are very good at doing these sorts of things. So it could be that um, it's retailers that have multiple different partners within their brand so that you can come in, you can shop, you can, you can buy a coffee, you can you know, experience something new. They're, they're the sort of things that you might be attracted to. You might find retailers and brands using biomorphic design where they bring nature into the area and the space and also how they then link up their omni-channel offer to that customer experience so that the customer can access not only the products in store, but they can also access the products through the internet. And that would help, for instance, if the brand or retailer doesn't have a particular item that the consumer wants but they can access it all through the internet while they're in the store and while they're with the colleague and that item's then delivered to their home and they know it'll fit, they know it'll work because they, it's all been you know, sorted out for them. They're the sorts of things that I think customer experience managers need to be thinking about. And of course, that means that some of them are going to have to think quite, you know, quite innovative ways about the spaces they have. Because the, there's a lot of its retailers that we've seen go bust recently. And that's because they sat in the space of having no experience. So it was neither good nor bad. Yeah. And someone else came along who had a good experience. And, you know, the, some of the competitors that put, put the likes of Debenhams and Topshop and et cetera under pressure, they, they came out of internet retail and started to go into bricks and mortar within a one or two year process. Suddenly, they put a lot of pressure on existing retailers who couldn't react because they didn't have two things. They didn't have an omni-channel offer and they also they didn't have customer experience leaders who were prepared to do innovative new things. So that, that's my advice really is do it now and, and think innovatively about your space and how to use it to improve your experience for your customers. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much, Richard. Very, yeah, very helpful. Very, very helpful. If you enjoyed listening to the episode, let us know on our LinkedIn page where we post daily content about our podcast. Next time, we will focus on using AI to improve customer feedback. So stay tuned and I will see you in two weeks.